Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. But the truth is not just as simple as we're going to build a whole bunch of solar and wind and everything's going to be great. There are significant technical dimensions to this, and that's what, to me, makes this a really interesting thing to talk about. Hey there, solar warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs who are building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. This is episode 113 of Suncast and today we are doing a quick dispatch from Solar Power International 2018. This here live from Anaheim, California, the meeting and greeting place and education spot of the year in North America where you can learn everything about what's happening in the solar industry. We are going to highlight a couple of things that are happening this week in today's episode with my buddy Christian Roseland. So get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Today's episode is another collaboration brought to you by PV Magazine USA. And I am proud to partner with PV Magazine, who concentrates on the best journalism covering the latest solar PV news. They also are doing a roundtable this week at Solar Power International on Wednesday. So if you are unaware, please sign up to attend. And would you do me a huge favor? If you do attend because you heard about it here on Suncast, please, please in the exit survey, let them know that you heard it on Suncast. It helps us, you know, it, it makes a difference. And I love you, Solar Warriors, because you make a difference. So let's make a difference together. With that, here we are with today's Suncast episode. All right, Solar Warriors, today we're going to do a quickie with my good friend Christian Roseland over at PV Magazine. And we are here live at Solar Power International. It is gearing up. It's going to be a great show. What do you think, Christian? I'm excited to be here. It's a beautiful day in Anaheim, a little bit cloudy, but uh, the sun is going to peek its head through, I think, by the end of the day. Yeah, it's perfect. And we are gearing up for three of the busiest days of the year, four if you have, like me, meetings all day on Monday. But we are going to be seeing a lot of interesting things. I think that Energy Storage International running alongside Solar Power International is growing in importance. It's growing in attendance in terms of people who are just showing up for energy storage. And all of this points to a topic that is one of your particular, I like to call it your stump, like this is the thing that you and I seem to always be talking about, which is what are the constraints, the opportunities, and the realities surrounding the topic of high penetration of renewables on the grid? Yeah, you know, this is a topic that fascinates me. As I'm sure anybody who reads PV Magazine regularly notes, this is the thing that I, that I really get into because this is where the rubber meets the road of the mm -hmm. energy transition. You know, when we talk about putting a whole lot of solar and wind on the grid, in a lot of ways, the economic challenges have been met. At this point, solar and wind are the cheapest forms of electricity generation in many places at large scale. Distributed generation offers values that make it more valuable often than retail electricity. You know, all of that's really on track to be taken care of, but we still have issues about how do we use all of the solar and wind that we want to put on? How are we going to get to these 100% renewable energy goals that people are setting? 
And this is a topic that has been broadly debated. I personally feel that there's been a lot of misinformation put out on this topic. There have been a lot of naysayers who have, frankly, have not wanted to see the energy transition happen, who've tried to kneecap this. But the truth is not just as simple as we're going to build a whole bunch of solar and wind and everything's going to be great. There are significant technical dimensions to this. And that's what, to me, makes this a really interesting thing to talk about. You know, one of the things that we talked about in last week's episode on getting ready for SPI is that you guys are hosting the both Future, future PV Roundtable and the Quality Roundtable on Wednesday of this week. Could you tell us a little bit about how, if I were to attend the, and I will, the Future PV Roundtable, who are the folks that you're gathering there and how are they contributing to this discussion that will elevate all of our knowledge around the technical challenges and the opportunities with high penetration of renewables on the grid. Well, thanks for asking. You know, this year at the Future PV Roundtable, we're doing something a little bit different than we have in past years, and we have distinct panel presentations about specific issues. So on Wednesday at 10 a.m. here in the Hilton and Rooms, Palos Verdes A and B, we're going to kick off this year's Future PV Roundtable. Uh, The first part is going to be a discussion of emerging cell and module technologies. We've got some great panelists. We have Longi, we have Horaeus, DNVGL, Ulbrich. And then in the second half, we're going to talk about this issue of how do we achieve higher penetrations of solar and wind on the grid. And for that conversation, we have Michael O'Boyle from Energy Innovations and also America's Clean Power Plan, Mm -hmm. who is a real expert on this subject. And Energy Innovations has informed my work tremendously with the things, with the analysis that they provided over the years. Uh, We have Dr. Mark Perez from Clean Power Research, who is another amazing authority on this subject. I saw his presentation at InterSolar North America, and I said, I want you for this discussion at SPI. And then we're going to have Dr. Mahesh Marjoria from First Solar. First Solar has also done a lot of really interesting work on this. You know, last year's presentation by Rafi Garabedian, their chief technology officer, basically challenged us to re-examine the issue of curtailment. If curtailment is really that big of an issue and how much we can reasonably work with. So this panel that we've got lined up is really an all-star panel. And I think they're going to provide some amazing insights on this topic. Would you be able to give uh, Suncast listeners that aren't going to be able to be at the Future PV Roundtable the script notes? What, what do you think are some of the key insights that we expect to hear at the Roundtable? And what are you personally interested in exploring around this notion of uh, high penetration of renewables? Well, you know, this is an evolving topic. And, you know, if you look back 10 or 15 years ago, people said, oh, well, we might have a hard time getting to 10% wind on the grid because of the variation and the fluctuation. That stuff got figured out pretty easily. Actually, that was more like 20 years ago in Denmark, right. they were having that discussion. Yeah, that got figured out pretty easily. And then we moved to, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe Western wind and solar integration studies said maybe we can reach 30%. Well, we've modeled it, and we think we can reach 30% wind and 5% solar in the western United States, 30% wind in the eastern United States, but then it went further. We're already seeing in California, we're up to like annual portion of electricity produced or demand met, whichever metric, we're about 20% solar and 10% wind. So we're already past where Western Wind and Solar Integration Study was first looking at. And as we go higher, the question is, how can we get to 100%? How close can we reasonably get to 100%? So everybody, a lot of people say, oh, well, energy storage, right? We have Mm -hmm. solar only produces during the day, and it produces more when it's sunny. So we put it in batteries and we, we store it for night. 
Wind is great, you know, fluctuates a lot. So when we have a lot of wind, we'll put it in batteries. That's great. Energy storage helps. But a lot of the batteries we're deploying, you know, these are four-hour batteries. So if we have a situation in a northern climate in the winter, the solar is not producing because it's the winter, and the wind, which is more intermittent often than solar, is not producing for a couple of weeks. What do we do? We have this gap in the winter. Well, that's where we get more sophisticated about this. You know, there needs to be some backup power. But what about oversizing the solar and wind? So you build more solar and wind than you will need to meet your maximum demand, but you store and or curtail a certain amount of it. Mm -hmm. That's what Dr. Mark Perez's presentation has been largely about is the ideal portions of solar and wind and the ideal oversizing mm. versus energy storage for right. curtailment. Then there's the entire demand side of this. Mm -hmm. There is an incredible area here. People think of electricity demand as being static. It's not. Through demand response, we've started to tweak it a little. Okay, well, we're going to call on some people to not use power at this time, you know, shift loads over to this time. We're just scratching the surface. When we get electric vehicles on the grid, mm -hmm. this is a totally new world we're looking at here, yeah. where we have flexible demand that reacts to price signals. And suddenly, you know, when demand is flexible, then times of renewable energy output are not where there's an excess of renewable energy output. These aren't a problem. These are an opportunity. Right. And then we can fill in the valleys mm -hmm. with energy storage, with other solutions. So there's multiple angles to tackling this problem. And we're going to be looking at several of them through the different presentations. I love it. One of the things that I always am asking myself and, and, and in so doing, I'm asking guests on Suncast is where are the business opportunities? What business model innovation are we able to contemplate as this industry matures. I wonder if you have any answers around that or if you have insights into implicit constraints, because where there are constraints, there are opportunities for entrepreneurs to build businesses to alleviate those constraints. Are there implicit resource or business model or technology constraints right now that we need to overcome before this can really move into mainstream? Well, again, I think that there still is this evolving issue of how we deal in northern climates, northern latitudes, essentially, places like the eastern United States and Europe with the time in the winter when solar production is not high and during low fluctuations of wind. If you're working on long duration energy storage, we have a market for you. Long duration energy storage is one of the great technical needs of this industry. Mm -hmm. But honestly, anyone working in energy storage right now, there are tremendous opportunities. There are tremendous opportunities to get around some of the resource material issues that we have with cobalt. There are opportunities for people to work on software because one of the things that we're seeing right now, recently in APS, they've launched the utility in Arizona. Mm -hmm. They launched this program for reverse demand response. Basically, instead of sending out a signal saying, hey, if you don't use power right now, we'll reward you. It said, hey, if you want to use power right now, we'll reward you. California's done a similar thing. They're working on a program through the state to allow behind the meter energy storage, I'm sorry, not through the state, through the grid operator, KISO, to allow behind the meter energy storage to be paid for soaking up demand during the middle of the day and other times where we have excess generation. So we're bringing it to the behind the meter batteries. They're going to need software. So there's opportunities in software. There's opportunities in energy storage design of batteries. There's opportunities for long duration energy storage. There's opportunities for demand response aggregation. All of these areas are really rich fields right now. And I would say that for EVs too, you know, EVs represent a huge amount of 
power demand on the grid that, particularly if paired with batteries, with stationary battery storage can be made flexible and that the opportunities there are enormous. I know. You're listening to this episode because you're tired of doing things the old way and looking for a new approach. And that is precisely why my friends at CPS America, a.k.a. Chint Power Systems, have agreed to help make this fresh content possible for you. See, they believe in the power of change and the importance of trying something before others catch on. They are the U.S. market share leader of three-phase string inverters, pioneering that approach since before it was cool. With over two gigawatts shipped in America, Chint's feature-rich, high-performance inverters and its nimble service team are ahead of the pack, just like you. If you'd like to find out what CPS can do for your CNI and utility business, reach out to me for an intro, nico at mysuncast.com. Or you can reach out to them directly and just let them know you heard it here on Suncast. It sounds like it's going to be a really fascinating time at the Future PV Roundtable. And as we alluded to, that is not the only roundtable that you're hosting. There are two, again, on Wednesday uh, of this Solar Power International 2018. The Quality Roundtable, let's take a moment, talk a little bit about that. What is the goal and who is going to participate? And we'll wrap up the discussion. Yeah. So the Quality Roundtable is something we've been doing for years. And this is always a really fun event because one of the central themes of the Quality Roundtable is this sort of forensic examination of solar projects gone wrong. Now, you know, we all have this schadenfreude in us. We all love mm-hmm. to see something that's a bit of a disaster and to talk about it. And so we take quality cases of projects that have had significant problems, you know, places where the project's really just gone south. Mm-hmm. And we look at why. And we, we do this in an anonymized format. So we're not talking about companies. We're not talking about individuals who are at fault. We are talking about what went wrong and why. Mm-hmm. So we take these anonymized cases and we examine them and we tear them apart and we say, well, what went wrong here and how did we get there? So that's, that's always been a lot of fun. In recent years, we've also discovered that people want a little bit more than that. They want to talk about how we can proactively work on quality. So this year, the second half of the quality roundtable is going to be a panel discussion like last year. This year, it's going to be focused on data because data has become a huge issue for quality. Companies are out there gathering huge amounts of data. We have the technology to absorb tremendous amounts of data from the field, from the manufacturing process. But then what happens to that data? How does that data actually get used to build better products, to inform operations and maintenance? How does that data get used to fundamentally address these issues of quality and reliability. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in this panel discussion. We've got an all-star panel there as well. Next tracker is sending a rocket scientist, Dr. R.T. Gopinath, uh, yeah. which, you know, we're always happy to have a rocket scientist on the show. Hopefully he'll bring the conversation down to earth. She. She. Wow, yes, wonderful. Yes, Dr. R.T. Gopinath. We're also working on having more women on our panels. We're still in the early phases of this. We also have Dr. Rob Andrews of Heliolytics. Dean's the irrepressible Dean Solon of Shoals will be there, <laughs> who is never without an opinion and is going to be adding a lot to this as well. Uh, and Brian Mills from Stoibly to give a manufacturer's perspective from the Fantastic. company that brought you the MC5 mm-hmm. and the company that has has more product deployed and more solar plants probably than in terms of just simply raw number of watts connected than anybody in this industry. So we're excited about that panel. I think that's going to be, I think it's going to be really interesting. 
And that one, by the way, is going to be moderated by John Weaver, who's our U.S. downstream correspondent. John is a solar developer as well as writing for PV Magazine. So he brings a level of technical insight that is really remarkable. And he's also a character. So it's fun to put him in front of a microphone and see what happens. Well, it's really interesting. Since we recorded for last week's What to Know episode, some very interesting news has come out that we've all been waiting for. So I'd like your perspective as the editor of a major industry trade journal that is kind of keeping tabs on this. What do you think are going to be the topics on everyone's lips walking the trade show floor? If folks wanted to get smart about a topic, what do you think people are going to be talking about this week? This last week has been fascinating. A bunch of big news broke right before the show. So one, the Section 301 tariffs came down. They're coming down sooner. Yeah. In fact, I think that, what is it, the 28th when they started 10% and then jumped to 25%? And these are the inverters. On inverters, yes. Right. So section as, 301, as not Eckert Section... Like to call it, Section X01. Yeah, the yeah. Section X01 tariffs. So 301 is on inverters. 201 is uh, what we call famously the Ceneva trade case. Yes, that's the, that mm-hmm. is for cells and modules. Okay. So 301, tell me about it. So Section 301 is basically a retaliatory tariff. The Trump administration said, hey, we think China is breaking the trade rules. We have permission under international trade law to just slap some tariffs on them. Mm -hmm. It came down to an enormous group. I mean, we had to really wade through Mm -hmm. hundreds and hundreds of different product items. In fact, it came in several waves. But one of the waves just happened to catch inverters. So inverters got caught. And starting at the end of this month, it's going to uh, 10% tariff on Chinese inverters. God, at the end of September? Yeah. And then at the beginning of January, it jumps to 25%. So we so have- So by the beginning of next year, orders that aren't placed by the end of this year are going to experience a 25% tariff for any tri- yep. Chinese inverter. And that's- Chinese made. And that includes companies that people might not think of as Chinese, like Enphase. A- yeah, like ABB. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of manufacturing in China. Well, there's a number of companies that have been able, that have manufacturing in other areas that they can shift to the US market. Yeah, this is going to be a very complicated logistics problem. It is, but the real worry is for companies that don't have manufacturing outside of China. Are there any that are there any that come to mind? That oh you, yes. Who have you highlighted in your articles? Um, Enphase and Huawei. SunGrow was in danger too, but SunGrow had the very good fortune to have already been building an India factory before this came down. Yeah. So they now have the opportunity of supplying the U.S. market from India. Enphase, which has been working through contract manufacturer Flex to make their products in China, has decided that they're going to shift this to Mexico, but they're talking about production in Q2 of next year. What a devastating move for an American company. Yeah, it's it's really bad Policy for a, that's and a, a technology pioneer. Policy that could potentially put under a U.S based company. Yes. This is ridiculous. Well, you know, and then the other thing is also trade from last week, mm-hmm. which is the product exemption for certain kinds of back contact solar cells and modules that just happen to be made by SunPower. Yeah. So that was an interesting one as well, because the entire industry was waiting to see if bifacial modules would be excluded. And it's not an easy document to read through. There are 25 pages of gook that you basically have to be a professional lawyer to understand. But upon having sought professional insight from legal counsel, it would appear that the bifacial module savior, which would allow, basically it would immediately make bifacial the number one choice for any utility development, did not get excluded. And, yeah. o- and only, as you mentioned, these back, back contact, yep. several, several types of modules, but predominantly this back contact, which is 
patented and owned by some power. Dominantly. And I mean, it's very specific. It's like 100 interdigitated fingers. So I'm not even sure if other back contact designs from, well, LG is the only other major manufacturer that's right. doing back contact. I'm not even sure if LG applies Qualifies, to this. Right. This is basically a sun power, as far as I can it's tell, a it's a sun power exclusion. exemption. Yeah. And it appears to be, now, it's interesting because sun power talked extensively with the Trump administration. And in their conversations with the Trump administration, they, they came back and said, well, the Trump administration really wants U.S. manufacturing. We're going to buy the Solar World Americas factory, our, our great arch nemesis right. in the trade case. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is that then they get an exemption for their technology. And, you know, these exemptions are not supposed to be quid pro quo. Right. But if you look at what President Trump has said about trade, he's saying, I brought that factory back. Right. I did this personally. And this looks, it has all the hallmarks of a very personal deal struck. Very interesting. So who knows? You know, the big question now is, will Jinko get an exemption? Why? Because of their US Because they have a U.S. factory. And incidentally, Jinko's factory uses a novel kind of cell based on a novel-sized wafer. So if you wanted to make an exemption that was for Jinko, but it didn't say it was for Jinko, you would exempt a certain size of wafer, a cell based on a certain size of wafer. So now we're going to watch and we're going to see if that comes through. Yeah. Hey, this is not a prediction. Yep. We have no idea if this is happening, but we do know that Jinko is gunning for an exemption. Mm. We do know that they've managed to import a very specific kind of cell for these modules. And I've been wondering, like, why would they do this? Why would they do this odd size? Well, and the size is what? I don't remember the exact specification, but it's slightly larger than your standard silicon wafer. Okay. Just a little bit. Okay. In very a weird well. way. Very well. well, it sounds like there's a lot of uh, cheese may on the trade show floor this week. There's going to be a lot of conversation around the ramifications, I think, mostly of 301, to be honest. I think that was a hammer that was heavier than we expected and should make conversations around the uh, inverter booths quite interesting. So there you have it, folks. Solar Warriors, I hope you're walking the trade show floors. I hope that you have taken a chance to listen to this on your run or whatever on Tuesday morning. But nonetheless, the conversation continues here around how to make SPI the best that it possibly can be for you, but also how to stay abreast of the changing dynamic and panorama of our industry be informed, and take action accordingly. So thank you for your contribution, Christian Roseland from PB Magazine. Thank you, Nico. It's always a pleasure to be on Suncast. Fantastic. And it is a pleasure to have you on Suncast and to have the collaboration that we have with PB Magazine. We will continue to bring you more insights from SPI. We'll do a roundup from what we learn here. And in the meantime, stay strong, Solar Warriors, and stay curious. We'll see you soon. Hey, Solar Warriors, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. I hope that you found that useful. There's lots of insight coming out of PV Magazine and coming out of Solar Power International. I'll try to get a Solar Power International Roundup episode where we talk about all the fun things that we learned. Christian and I are working through thinking about that and how we can collaborate and talk about what we learned at the show. In the meantime, as always, there's a bunch of other episodes if you are hankering for more Suncast. And if you, as usual, are looking for other ways that you can lean in, would you check out our member page and see about joining the Suncast tribe? I'm about to roll out because it's Monday night and we have our Suncast Tribe event here in Anaheim. I look forward to seeing those of you who are here in person. By the time you listen to this, we will have had an amazing time bowling. And of course, I'll be trying to tweet a little bit to you thousands of followers who are probably thinking... 
I'm wondering what is happening with these solar guys here in Anaheim. So if you're on my mailing list and you did get the invite, thank you for showing up. If you didn't get the invite, I really apologize. It was not intentional. Stay tuned this week. We have Nadim Chowdhury, CEO and founder of Green Power Global. He's built his entire business around creating great experiences and educating the market. You're going to want to stick around on Thursday for that episode. It's fantastic. To all my current tribe members, I wish you much love and great success. And I am stoked to see you this week in Anaheim. And I look forward to welcoming you, my friend, into our tribe. Thanks for showing up. It's half the battle.